0: Nothing can stop us now. Did you miss me? When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious
1: shit. Hello, and we are live for episode five of Let's Slay with Swell and Jay. I am Jay. And, and I'm because...
0: swell. Oh swell. yes, you are. You are, are we live?
1: Are we are we live? Like I think we're, we're like... I, I think we're like live, right? Like, like we it's like time we're, displacement.
0: We're, I don't know. We're we're live in the same way that like a, a late night talk show is live. Like we're live to tape.
1: We're live but, to like, tape.
0: No one is actively listening to us while we're recording. We actually will. have
1: spools of tape everywhere. Just spools. live to tape. Live to tape. It just I, I I love that. I love that phrase. I love everything about it. So. I feel like back. a little
0: inside baseball. We record all of our episodes on cassette. And oh, then yes. I hand splice it all together and then upload it back to the computer. It's really fascinating stuff. You want to understand. Shout
1: out to Fujifilm. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> Memorex. Um, oh I can just go some naming companies. JVC. You know, like, I don't know. Uh, Casio. Casio. Yeah. I, I, there are so many of those. But so... We're back this week for episode five, and um, speaking of swell, um, swell, how are you?
0: I'm. Listen, I'm. I'm doing pretty good. Um, so about a little over a week ago, I got my splint and my like it wasn't really a cast, but we'll call it a cast removed. I got switched to this sort of like articulating brace on my elbow which has given me a lot more range of motion like I can move my shoulder I can hold thing light things in my hand Um, I've started physical therapy which is going pretty good it's still uncomfortable I do still sometimes have pain especially like if I'm out and I have a lot going on during a day when I get home at night it does swell up a little bit there is some pain but compared to where i was even 2 3 weeks ago it's night and day i feel very much on the road to recovery um and you know it's a it's a situation where it's day by day but i think knock on wood the worst of it is behind me i'm healing i feel myself again which i think is most important like there were there were like 3 weeks there where i couldn't even function mentally intellectually like i was struggling to even do like work and i don't do physical labor i do like you know, email, phone meetings kind of work, and I couldn't even engage with that. So, like, generally, I feel pretty good, and I'm happy about that, and uh, I have a lot of physical therapy coming up. It's not going to be the easiest road, but I am taking this as a life lesson to sort of reattune myself to my body, to be really grateful and appreciative of everything I do have, um and sort of like you know the old adage like stop and smell the roses adage yes. adage however you want to say it adage yes. like i am i am allowing this to be a positive experience for me instead of wallowing in the oh no i got hurt i did i'm healing and it's going to be a reset not not anything other than that so I... i'm i'm feeling i'm feeling good
1: that's great because I can I can literally hear a difference in your voice from just you know a week ago. I yeah. feel like I feel like you are you sound more upbeat, you sound more uh, hopeful, you sound uh, very energetic. I'm just glad that you're kind of on that road, and it'll get you and I have talked about this off off of here off air that it's going to get better week by week, and yeah. uh, and as you I'm, improve, you know that's that's going to be tremendous for you. You're going to have a great end of the year.
0: I'm also. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm also sleeping pretty much through the night now, which I think has been a a big factor as to you know the energy, the upbeat. There were there like three three and a half weeks there where I simply was in too much pain or discomfort to sleep for more than an hour at a time. So I was like getting sleep where I could, and now I go to sleep and I wake up in the morning when I'm supposed to, which is great. That's Um, awesome. That's awesome. This brace really allows me, you know, carefully to like put my arm in a comfortable place where it's not, you know, waking me up with throbbing pain or, or discomfort. So, yeah.
1: That's awesome. So yeah. one of the things, one of the things that your healing has facilitated is you've been able to get out more. I would assume. Yeah. A I have, lot more.
0: <laughs> I have, uh, I've been to a couple off Broadway and Broadway shows. I've been to the movies. I am back at work uh, actually in the midst of, what I would say is the biggest theatrical producing project of my career thus far in terms of ones that uh, myself and my uh, partner, Amber, uh, our company, Amber Productions, have done. We were in the studio all week last week and all week this week working on a uh, a workshop of a musical that we're intending to bring off Broadway next year. So really exciting. You know that, that was part of why I was so distressed about the injury happening when it did is I knew this workshop was coming up. And the timing was not great, but now that we're in the room and we're rehearsing and we're planning and putting everything together, yes, it's not ideal that I'm in this brace and I do have to take rest. And I ended up so uh, we basically have folding chairs in the studio and Amber and I have a table that's like our producer's table and there was really nowhere to put my arm cuz folding chairs obviously don't have arms and the table is what it is so we took a music stand and we put a blanket on the music stand and then we put a like airplane neck pillow on top of the music stand and my elbow fits perfectly on top of the neck pillow and it's become this just fantastic place to to rest and alleviate too much stress off the elbow so yeah everything that feels like that feels
1: like um Tom Hanks and Castaway, you know, a like little a solution, bit. a solution there, you know. I mean, it's not, we, it's not. I'm MacGyvered, you
0: know... Macgyvered the shit out of that.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> as long as you're comfortable and you're and you're getting through that, and then you know, it's it's <clears throat> very. I want to key in on something you had said, you know, um about that you were able to get out and go to the movies because that is our topic this week is movies. We have
0: yeah, might as well just call us J-Bert and Swell Skull. <laughs>
1: Working title, we'll, working we'll uh, t-
0: not my best, but we'll, you
1: understand, we'll, we'll, we'll work on it, we'll work on it, I mean, <laughs> we, we, uh, it's, I, it's probably more, it's probably better than just what comes to mind for me at first of like, Jay and Swell, go to the movies, you know, it, it's, it, it's uh, one of those things that art can help heal us, it can help inform us, it can, it can help us in a lot of ways, you know, I, I imagine getting out and going to the movies again for you was a, was a big thing. I know you oh. wanted to get get going again. I know you went. We talked about haunting, uh, haunting in Venice last week, um, and now we got two movies to talk about this week.
0: Yeah, you know, movies have always been my sanctuary. Mm. Um, from for as long as I can remember, even when I was a kid, going to the cinema, you know, getting a soda, maybe a little popcorn. The lights go down. You don't hear this anymore, but you used to hear the crackle and snap of the film going through the projector. Um, it's just where I feel most myself, right? Like, I'm not a particularly religious person. Um, So to me, going to the movies has always been my church, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And periods of my life where, for whatever reason, I don't go for a while or physically wasn't able to, obviously it's not the most important thing that's going on, but it does weigh on me. So the fact that I'm now back, pretty much able to go to the movies whenever I want, um particularly if the seats are recliner so i have a nice place to put my elbow it's been awesome
1: oh that's amazing i, I mean i'm a person that I'll, I'll admit right here on this recording that i used to be a person that um didn't like the theater i oh. i i was a person that um i would probably say before the pandemic thought the theater should go away at one point in time um I was that person. I, I, I think I gained a new appreciation for the theater um, being away from it for so long. And um, I think it's the community aspect of of like trying to go into a place and see stuff with other people and sharing that experience is what drew me back to it is there's a, there's a sense of community there. And I think that in some ways it's soothing to me. It's relaxing in a way. Um, yeah. You said it's your church. It's more like my spa. <laughs>
0: That works too. Listen, uh, I understand there are some people who just want movies at home, they'll wait till streaming, or they advocate that a movie should hit streaming the same day as theaters. And if that's their approach, that's fine. But to me, watching a movie at home, I don't care how big your screen is, how good your sound system is, it's never the same. Right? Like we can sit here and say, sure, sometimes audiences at the movie theater are not great problems arise generally speaking your screen is going to be nowhere as big as a movie theater screen whatever sound bar or sound system you have installed barring you know the like most wealthy people out there who have legitimate home theaters it's Mm -hmm. not going to sound the same and there is that communal experience if you're watching a comedy and everyone's laughing that sets the tone and the mood. And there have been times where I've seen a comedy in theaters and laugh my ass off, and then I watch it at home and it's not as funny because that communal experience is gone. Or a horror film in particular, right? There's a shared level of stress and intensity. Maybe everyone is jumping or laughing or screaming at the same time when there's a really good jump scare or a twist or a reveal. There are times where audiences can ruin a movie. But generally for me, and I think you would agree, the shared communal experience of seeing a movie together in a
1: theater, especially if you're with friends, can't be beat. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about two movies this week that I think that I got a lot out of the communal experience of seeing them in a theater with a large sound system on yeah. large, large format screens. And the first one we're going to talk about this week is The Creator. The Creator. Um, the, the creator. Um, we just, a uh, spoiler alert, we both like this movie, right? We we, we like this we like this movie right Gareth Edwards um just tremendous film um the guy that did Rogue One um just just tremendous tremendous film made for roughly eighty million dollars and it looks like it was made for two hundred million dollars. I right think off that, the yeah
0: the bat that's the thing that and we'll talk more about the story and everything but the thing that's really astounding about the creator for me is how good it looks compared to its budget.
1: Right. Oh, I, oh, yeah. I
0: don't I don't even fully understand how they did it because and I, I don't want to cast dispersions or like take this as an opportunity to trash any movie or any studio in particular, but there are many two hundred million dollar plus budgeted movies that ultimately look like sludge, yes, and this movie looks gorgeous and tactile and and the cG is photorealistic to the most part like everything blends in and feels of a world and feels thoughtfully designed and i i hope that there are very long making of documentaries about this movie once it hits streaming or blu-ray not that special features are what they once were but we still get it sometimes because i am just dying to know how they pulled this off
1: Well, you know, one of the things, one of the things that I would, I would say is I, you have to give a lot of credit to Greg Frazier. He's the cinematographer on this film. Um, he had worked on the Batman before, uh, the last Batman film. He's also worked on Dune. He did the Brad Pitt vehicle, killing them softly. He also did the uh, cinematography on Lion. Um, He's had. He's also done Zero Dark Thirty, things of that nature. Um, all of his stuff is is tremendous. Just the look of the film, just the the general tone. I I found that I found this movie quite stunning in in so many scenes. Just wide, like whether it was a dirty city street, like a downtown, and just the gritty, grimy nature of that, or if it was just wide sweeping landscapes like mountainous villages. I was I was continually in awe. I thought it was, I thought it was just a beautiful looking film from start to finish.
0: Yeah, so what's interesting, Greg Fraser I think is a genius. He won the Oscar for cinematography for Dune. Right. And I don't know about you, I I thought the Denis Villeneuve Dune was a masterpiece. I thought it was it incredible. Is. It is. I can't wait for Part um, so what's interesting is so Greg Fraser actually is the co-cinematographer on the creator with Oren Sofer. So okay. Greg basically worked with Oren and was there for the entire pre-production process. The two of them together decided how they want to light it. They decided what kind of cameras and lenses they want to use. They did storyboarding, all of that. But then Greg had to leave to go shoot Dune part two. Two, yes. And he handed the reins over to Oren. So Oren was the one who was actually on set for Mm. most of the creator. I believe they had constant communication. Greg was also a co-producer on the creator. So it's not as if he like dipped out, he was super involved, but I thought this is something I haven't seen that much where you sort of have almost like a teacher and a student, not that Oren is a student, he's actually a professor at NYU and he's a 35 year old guy, Um, he's not a kid. But it was sort of like they were working together in tandem, helping each other out. I feel like Greg sort of became Orin's mentor on this. Um, and mm. so I just didn't want Orin's contributions to the cinematography to go overlooked. Oh, definitely. he was the one on set. But yeah, like you were saying, every design choice in this movie from the cityscapes to the more like uh, science fiction forward space sequences, spaceships, um military style stuff it all looks fantastic
1: yes i i i was i was just like the the sheer there were some scenes that the sheer scale of them like there's yeah. and again by the way as when we talk about all movies we're of course reminding everyone that's listening that we're going to talk spoilers so if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled you probably shouldn't listen to this portion of the of the podcast so i will say the scene with the giant tanks was it was, that was one of the most craziest things I had, I had seen in a long time on, on a movie screen. I, just the sheer scale of it, you know, that there were these big rumbling monstrosities that you couldn't even see, but you could hear in the distance and you know, something bad is coming, but you don't know what it is. And when they emerge, it's, it's literally like a sense of dread, like, Oh no, like this is really, really bad. And I, I love that they were, they were portraying, and this goes to more of the story of the film. They were portraying a a U.S. a U.S. basically a U.S. based presence or a Western a Western based presence that did not trust AI, that did not trust technology or new technology that was coming forth that was kind of marrying with humankind uh, as this as almost this all seeing this all-seeing all-seeing imperialist you know death machine in, in in essence you know that that you couldn't run from it you couldn't escape from it they had they had air superiority they had ground superiority and everybody else is left to just kind of run in fear
0: so the interesting thing about this movie for me on an intellectual level is predominantly When you look at the history of sci-fi cinema, when there are films involving AI, most of the time, the machines are the bad guys, right? You look at Terminator, you look at the Matrix, you look at all the classics. It's always about the machines taking an uprising against the humans, and they are the villains, and the humans have to fight against the machines. This movie, and again, we're talking spoilers here, folks. This movie takes a very opposite approach, but it also is deliberate in the way it builds up to the moment. There is a moment where you realize, wait a minute, the bad guy in this movie is America and the American military industrial complex, right? They are, are violence first, weapons first. They're going to just attack and they want to kill all the AI because of an incident that occurred that was actually a misunderstanding. And that I think that's a moment that is is handled so swiftly in dialogue that some people may miss. I don't know. But there's this giant nuclear attack that happens on U.S. soil that they blame on artificial intelligence. And we find out later in the film, it was actually a human coding error that caused it.
1: Correct. So, so yes. Right. No, I was going to say rather than rather than face the consequences of their own actions, they point the finger at the machines. Right, and and this
0: humanizes the artificial intelligence characters in this film. But if you take a more macro approach, this can be applied to a plethora of real world um, situations, situations yeah. and wars. Like we can make allegories to the Russia Ukraine. Uh, situation that's going on, sure. Uh, Israel-Palestine. I don't want to get too political here about this, but I think the the way that you can apply the conflict here between the United States and the artificial intelligence is really interesting, particularly when you also consider in the creator that it's not all of humanity that is the bad guys. It is specifically one country because the film is also very deliberate to say that in eastern countries they have a far more harmonious relationship with the artificial intelligence It's really fascinating stuff going on under the surface of what is also just a really thrilling fun well-executed sci-fi action movie uh,
1: one of the one of the themes that i really like kind of clung to and stuck to is there is there is a character in this film that our main protagonist is seeking Uh, throughout the film it is his wife that he has presumed has passed away and spoiler alert she has not passed away she has she is not she is not what you would say as she was classified as alive when he finds her but she's not she's not she's not alive per se she's she's not dead but she's in a coma like state Uh, And she's kind of stuck in that space where she's on life support and their belief system doesn't allow them to turn her life support off. Uh, I I found that whole storyline incredibly moving because it started to kind of veer into places of talking about like what makes us alive, what classifies us as clinically dead, what is the in-between and whose right is it to end the life of another? I, I was, I was incredibly moved by the, the, I guess you would say the supposition that to, to take the life of someone else, there's a lot of careless life taking in this movie by, by the, the, US machine against the AI, they're not actually people, they're subhuman, they're not real. Just brutalize them and, and take what makes them alive, take that essence away from them. And in this moment where our main character sees his wife comes upon his wife, and she's on this life support system, and where the people that have been taking care of her basically say, we have been waiting for you. Everything yep. that you've done has led you to this moment because we need you in this moment because you are the only one that can basically center on to whatever you believe is the next life. And yeah, there, ooh, incredibly there, moving.
0: There, there is a a heavy, you know, conversation that I think we as a society now are having about the nature of artificial intelligence. Uh, You know, I don't know how familiar you or our listeners might be with Alan Turing and the Turing test, Mm -hmm. which he generated many years ago, which was this test to determine the emotional intelligence and humanity of artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And although this movie doesn't, at least as far as I remember, specifically reference the Turing test, I think that notion sort of permeates a lot of what happens Yes. Just because, this movie supposes at least, just because an entity doesn't have a human soul doesn't mean they aren't alive, doesn't mean they don't have value, and doesn't mean their life isn't worthwhile, right? And there's this conversation that happens a lot throughout the movie about, well, they're not dead, we just turn it off. But for the yes. machines, turning it off is a death. Um, And then when you conflate that or or consider that in tandem with what you were just talking about with Gemma Chan's character, Maya, Mm -hmm. and her state, and how the machines were not comfortable turning her off, really a lot of fascinating intellectual notions going on under this movie. And I want to say, there are elements of this movie that are derivative. Right. Yes. This is this is not necessarily the most original new work of science fiction. This is playing in a sandbox no. we've seen time and time again. But to me, it speaks to what I always say. I think there are only a super finite amount of stories you can tell. It also always comes down to the execution. So. Right. I think even though this has lots of elements from movies we have seen before, it's executed with so much emotion and so thoughtfully. And then, yes, the action is great. We are talking about how it looks fantastic. The performances are great. Because it's executed so well, the fact that it isn't, you know, this incredible news story doesn't matter. It, it does everything right it needs to do to tell this story in its own way.
1: Yeah, and I think there's definitely a scene. I think it's it's been shown, I mean, everybody's seen it in the trailer, but um the character of Alfie who is who is basically a weapon um mm-hmm. for the for the AI to end this battle with this entity that is trying to wipe them out. And there's the scene with Joshua, the our main protagonist and Alfie on the on when they're riding in the what well, they were like riding in a bus or a transport where you know Alfie asked Joshua you know are you gonna are you gonna go to heaven and he said no you got to be a good person to go to heaven and she says well then we're we're the same because you're not you're you're not good and I'm not a person yep and and it's 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 such a it was such a striking moment that a small child was basically teaching this grown adult um the process of of redemption if you will you know and and being in value i i i love that scene there were so many scenes like that in the film i could probably struggle to name them all i i i think that i think that um if i were to have one small quibble with the film i think that like the the final act the third act of the film is kind of a little bit rushed
0: mm-hmm. but
1: everything else and like you said a lot of it's derivative it's it's they, these are tropes that we've seen before there's also a yeah. scene what that i found quite striking where Basically, the humans, the the human conglomerate there, the U.S. conglomerate, have developed a technology where they can take basically the core brain, memory, soul, if you will, of a dead person, as long as they haven't been dead for too long, and upload them into an AI machine where they can basically extract information from them for like 30 seconds to a minute. Basically bring them back to life. And you think on paper you're like, oh, that's so cool. What a cool technology. But then you realize when they upload people into an AI body, they have to relive the final moments of their life all over again. And all they do is beg for their loved ones. Yes. And it was such a gut-wrenching scene to me when watching these characters say, where's my wife? I want to see my kids. Uh, And they're saying, we don't have time for that. We need information from you. We do not care about you. We need information from you right before you got to experience your death again. And yeah, man, that 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 was just one of those moments that really grabbed me.
0: I think there's an argument to be made about this film that in many cases, the artificial intelligent characters display more genuine humanity than the humans do.
1: For sure. Absolutely. Um,
0: I want to touch quickly on that scene you mentioned where good person versus Mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. um that I think is the signature moment of the film yes. um and I think I want to give I think every actor in this movie is excellent um with some surprising casts, like you have country singer Sturgill Simpson in there yeah you, know, you have you have Alice and Janney sort of hamming it up as a villainous a so U.S. army colonel um, John David Washington does a really nice job. You know, I think he continues to grow as an actor and a leading man. And, you know, you look at Tenet and then you look at this and he just gets better and better. But to me, it's Madeline Una Voiles, who is a nine-year-old actress who plays Alfie, who really walks away with this entire movie. Yeah, she um, was amazing. Absolutely amazing. amazing. Yeah. And And I'm not one of those people who, like, inherently doesn't like child actors, but certainly... It's hit or miss. Sometimes they can be really cheesy or cloying or annoying, or you can feel that they're just acting. She was so natural, so genuine. And just, I think really because her performance is so good, the entire emotional crux of this movie actually works.
1: I agree. I agree. It, it It's it's a movie that I really need to go give another watch to uh, eventually. Yeah. And I, I think I would notice a lot more than... than than I saw the first time. I, I I think there are so many good like little side performances or little the the dialogue of that that character and how it's delivered from like Alfie. You know, there's another scene again. It's in every trailer. You know, like you know, hey, you know, uh, uh, an adult character asks Alfie, you know, what do you want? And, you know, for robots to be free and like we don't have that in the fridge. Do you want ice cream? You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I think there's so many like little heartfelt moments like that that are just unbelievable and i think they build a lot of the relationship between alfie and joshua that when the 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 moment comes to separate them or put them in peril that you you realize that these characters like you know they care about one another they they see some kind of shared existence in one another um and it doesn't it doesn't have to be well you're human and you're you're a part machine it's it's more like seeing seeing each other as as Living things, you yeah. know, Absolutely. um, that are capable of you know uh, a range of emotions. And
0: um, God, man, love that movie. the The final thing I want to touch on is mm-hmm. when I watch uh, a work of science fiction, I always think it's interesting, and it's not a good thing or a bad thing, just interesting to like take a second and be like, does it feel like the the fake science or on the science that doesn't yet exist in this movie is something that could exist? yes and i think this movie's depiction of the future and and i think it takes place you know in the 2050s and the 2060s um i think there's a lot of science stuff in this movie that we are on very much on our way towards yes um whether it be the robotic prosthesis uh arm and leg that uh john david washington's character has whether it be the the artificial robotic humanoid characters themselves, whether it be, you know, certain ways that the cities function, transportation functions, even what you're talking about, where, you know, they have a way to plug into a human and get some, like, reawaken the brain to talk to it. That to me, and listen, I don't pretend to be a neuroscientist or a doctor, but based on things I've read, things I've seen, that seems like something that medicine could achieve, maybe not in our lifetime, but in the next. 100 years or so because there are so many synapses in the brain and we already you know rigor mortis all that stuff like there's just little things in this movie that we don't have now but very much seems like things that could exist in the future and in that regard it reminds me a lot of minority report which to me is one of the high watermarks of like speculative science fiction stuff that when that movie came out in 2002 did not exist, and we're already seeing some of it now exist, like, you know, retinal scanning to, like, code data for our shopping preferences and the way toilets work and all that stuff. So it's clear to me that even though, again, this is not the most incredibly original work of science fiction, a lot of thought was put in to, like, the little aspects of it. So when you watch it, it feels like a fully complete, well-thought-out world.
1: I agree. It, it It's... It's, it's such a, it's such a good film. I, I, I'm hoping that it stands alone. I hope it's, I want to compare it similarly to the way it came out of nowhere in a little ways like district nine, the, 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 the the Blomkamp film, you know, all those years ago. And I hope that it stands alone and stands the test of time. I hope they're not, you know, they don't want, they don't have to flesh out this universe anymore. If they do not want to, I think it's a good story. There's a lot of uh, morality play in this and cause people to really look at what they consider what do you what are your what are your what are your views on what do you consider to be alive and how yeah. you approach things that are alive in your you in your world and how you respect them or or disrespect them at times and maybe re-examine how you feel now i will tell you that we did not plan this and uh we are basically take talking about two movies this week and we we Well, actually, we did plan to talk about two movies this week. What we didn't plan for is that the two movies we would talk about would kind of put their own twists on a morality play, right? Yeah. Like, we're going to talk about now Saw 10. Saw Saw X. Yeah, it's a good old Saw 10. Good old Saw 10. Um, (laughs) uh, As a person that is admittedly not a huge fan of this franchise, I I haven't been in the past. I love the first two films. I kind of see... I kind of like my my view is it meandered over time and kind of gotten muddled, and I felt like it was just dragging like a a zombified corpse over the finish line every time they were making one of these, especially when we got to like <laughs> seven and eight in that area. yeah, i i this is the first time in a in a long time that I was really into this film. Like I really liked this movie. and Tobin Bell probably gives the performance of his, one of the performances of his career in this film. Um I was, I want to see him nominated for awards. I want him <laughs> to get his flowers. I mean, am I wrong?
0: No, not really. I mean, okay, so I've seen every Saw movie in theaters mm-hmm. going all the way back to 2004 when I was still in high school, right? that That's sure. how long this franchise has been going on. Sure. And like many long-running horror franchises... It ain't all been pretty, right? Yeah. Um I think for me I love the first one and the second one and I also think Saw 6 is one of the best ones. Oh, I um, agree. Oh, I absolutely Saw, agree. Saw 6 has that really strong morality play. It's really well thought out and it's a really fun horror movie but like Saw 7 uh and then Jigsaw and then Spiral that 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 like weird one with it just they were terrible.
1: Yes. Right? I, uh, it, it kind of like, it, it got, again, it, it kind of got off track. And I love that this movie is basically, I, I want to say prequel because it technically is, but it's between movies one and two, correct? Yes. Yes. So he, he does the acts of the first movie. A lot of people, most people I'm hope listening, have seen the original saw it's, it's considered an all time classic as far as horror goes and the twist at the end and so on and so forth. So We are, just to bring everybody on board, if you may not know, we are picking up after Saw, the first Saw movie, where John Kramer is a cancer patient. He's very sick. He has brain cancer, and he's looking for a cure to his brain cancer, and that causes him to chase that cure to Mexico, to a facility that claims they can do an experimental procedure that they are going to heal him. Uh, Spoiler alert, they do not heal him. They are a scam and mm-hmm. this this is where he sets about his revenge plot to get the people that have scammed probably hundreds of cancer patients out of their life's fortune if you will correct exactly yeah.
0: so i i think there's a couple things why i think this is one of the very best if, and and there is a possibility honestly where when all is said and done down the line after i've seen it again this may be the best saw movie there that is a possibility right And I think why this works so well is this is the only movie in the series where John Kramer is the main character. Yes. Yes. Even in Saw 1 and 2, both of which I think are really good horror movies, he is a small villain uh, you know his voice and his presence are felt but you're not seeing Tobin Bell on screen a lot you're hearing his voice on a tape recorder you're seeing Billy the puppet come in on his fucking little tricycle looking all creepy you know you see a little bit of him here and there but you're you're and and you're piecing together his story but it's never done in a way that has any sort of narrative propulsion right. and the producers of this franchise have even gone on record as, as saying they were wrong to kill John Kramer so early in the series, right? So John dies in Saw Three, right? Spoiler and alert! Then, spoiler <laughs> alert! <laughs> and then they kept making these movies, and the like uh, timeline and narrative of the successive sequels got increasingly convoluted, so that they can figure out a way to still sort of have Tobin Bell's presence. Um, in the movies uh, and like fill in these little gaps and it just got so stupid and confusing and nonsensical and like really cloying like yeah man he's dead but like we're still gonna shoehorn him in there and then we're gonna make this other character the villain and there are i always had questions about like when that character became involved and questions that this movie actually answers i think but by taking the bold choice of making John Kramer not only the main character, but I would argue really humanizing him. Correct. It sort of has had me reflecting back on the entire Saw franchise and rethinking how I feel about certain things.
1: I mean, he's basically an avenging angel in this movie. And I also, I didn't want to get too far into this without pointing out that you had said that Saw 6 was one of the best in the series, and I agree. Um, And let's not forget uh, the director of this film, Kevin Grudert, he is the director of both of those films. So he's yes. the director of the new one. He's the director of Saw 6. He also did Spiral. Um, he he has no, a... No, no.
0: Uh, he didn't direct uh, Spiral. Did he direct Spiral? Spiral? Was, Spiral was Darren Lynn Bassman who did 2, 3, and 4.
1: You're right. You're right. Um, I think I think he got... Uh, maybe he's got a producer credit. Um, oh, this... yeah,
0: probably. He, yeah, he, also yeah. Did, he also did 7. Yes. Um, but we won't hold that against him because he yes. made two of the other best ones.
1: Yes, absolutely. So that's my mistake. But... The, the series, it's interesting how it's kind of this movie turns, turns the, like you said, the saw premise on its head and goes, what if we focus on John Kramer and as an avenging angel and, and we humanize him and you go, you want to see the trap succeed. You, you want to see you, you are almost brought on the inside. Almost. I felt like I was John Kramer's assistant. Yes, I felt like I was watching this play out, and as the movie goes on, I'm wanting him to basically get out ahead of the people that he's tort- torturing because, quite frankly, they're they're horrible people. And
0: yeah, w- one of the the conceits of the Saw franchise has always been that the Jigsaw Killer, John Kramer, is killing people, or, or rather, putting people in situations in these traps where they may or may not die who deserve it. Right. Right. And I, I think some of the movies made a more cogent argument as to whether or not they deserved it or not. And part of why I think six is so enjoyable is it's putting the entire American like health insurance uh, industrial complex on display as people who are basically scam artists and deserve to to be held accountable for their bullshit. Yes, correct. Um and, you know, I think when the first Saw came out, there was a lot of comparison to the film, to David Fincher's Seven.
1: Oh, yes. No, no, where, no, I would agree.
0: You know, I think the killer in Seven, and I'm not going to spoil that specifically who it is because it's such a great twist, but the killer in Seven is also under the impression that they are, are an avenging angel, killing people who deserve it because they're committing sins. But I think this movie, Saw 10, finally really allows the audience to almost empathize with it, which then makes you sort of feeling icky. You're like, wow, I really want these people to get fucked up in these traps because they did really terrible things and are horror people, horrible people. And man, John Kramer has really gone through it. Like he got, a, he got a shit hand and he's almost like, a, I hate to say superhero, but like he is sort of a vigilante. Like we root for Batman, right? Like we root yes. for Batman and Batman yes. beats the shit out of people who are bad people or
1: Dexter. I don't know. Did you watch Dexter? Yes. I I, I love Dexter. I think it's, right, I like, think it's amazing.
0: Part of the, uh, especially earlier, early on in the seasons, part of the thrill of Dexter is yeah, he's a serial killer, but, but. he's killing people who were horrible, horrible people. And can you, morally and intellectually justify that and of all the saw movies i think this attacks that the most head-on
1: yeah and speaking of attack i w- i want to talk about some of these traps because i i think it's one of the things like if i were to have one mm, small small problem with this film is that and i'm not i'm not a prude at all and i'm not necessarily totally squeamish but man this this film takes takes some of the gore levels to like to a whole nother place um i i was i actually covered my face a couple times in this film when i was watching it in the theater i i felt like again we're going to discuss spoilers here but the the brain surgery scene was yeah. where a guy has to perform brain surgery on himself was mm-hmm. particularly a moment where i was i was not i was not doing well during that moment i was well, I don't. Ugh.
0: I, I I would, I think up until this one, the most gruesome of the Saw movies was Saw 3. Yes. Which also has a brain surgery scene. Yes. Um, and I think also that when you look at this movie and you go back to like the first one, it does show how maybe the MPAA or maybe just general taste, as the years have gone on, audiences have become more and more used to these extreme gore that we just put, continue to push the envelope. There are some scenes, and very much like you, maybe even more so, I have no issues with gore in movies. Mm. Like, blood splatter, not cut limbs off, I don't care, you know, go for it. I, You know, not in a sick way, but I think it can be really enjoyable when executed well. Like, I think to like, I don't know if you've seen like Planet Terror, like some of these movies where it's just so gory it almost becomes funny. Mm-hmm. Um, There are some some bits in this where I felt it. Um there's one scene where a character is hanging from her leg and her hand. Yes. And the only way she can escape is if she uses a tool to break her own hand and her own leg. Yes. And I started legitimately feeling phantom pains in my elbow.
1: Oof. I was I was more worried about you in the pipe, the pipe bomb scene.
0: No, that didn't bother me at all. Really? Really? Um, b- Because that was like cutting of the flesh and blood. Okay. And that, that you know, that I just thought was like disgusting, but in like, uh, oh, this horror movie's being gross. That's kind of fun kind of way. It was the like physical having to break your own bones. Because okay. when I when I broke my elbow, there was no blood. There was no flesh. It was just crunch yeah. crash. Right? Mm. And I'm Oof. sorry to say that, but like, if you're listening to us to talk about Saw X, you can hear me say that my elbow went crunch crash. Crunch um, crash. It pushes the envelope, but I appreciated that it did because these people, these characters who are put in this situation are horrible people. Correct. And I want to talk about uh, this character, Cecilia Peterson. I am not going to try and pronounce the actress's name. She is uh, from, uh, she's Norwegian. Sinove Makodi-Lund. Okay, I did try to pronounce it. Something like that. You did it. I tried my best. I apologize. Sinove Sinove. What a character. What a performance. Oh, Um, yeah. Again, in the full interest of spoilers, she is very much the bad guy in this movie. She is a far more heinous, horrible, morally corrupt, disgusting, evil person than John Kramer is in any Saw movie. And so the fact that her operation and her minions are the ones that are getting fucked up by, by John Kramer, there is a level of, like audience schadenfreude that i really really enjoyed because seeing horrible people get held accountable for their horrible actions is something i think we don't get enough in this world now let me add the caveat that i don't believe in the death penalty i believe that people should go to jail so that that they can think about what they've done and actually suffer i think death is both too easy and who are we to decide who can and shouldn't die that being said in the wor- world of fictional, over-the-top horror cinema, watching these horrible characters get what they deserve is was thrilling for me.
1: The the Cecilia Peterson character is also, it's you start to realize as the film goes on that it's almost like her and John Kramer are engaging in a battle of wits.
0: Oh, it was like a cat and mouse game.
1: Cat and mouse game. Straight up cat and mouse game. She is incredibly shrewd, incredibly smart, just like John Kramer is. And I I think the play the interplay of those two characters is one of those things that I just keep kind of coming back to because like there's moments where you're like oh he has her and then no she has him and no it's 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 not what we think and there's there's a lot of back and forth between those two characters and she carries a lot of this movie I mean obviously Tobin Bell as John Kramer is is the the main point of the film. And he carries a lot of the movie. And like I said, I want to see him get his flowers and his rewards, but like Cecilia Peterson, that character is whew, it's, 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 so good. Like I never, I don't want to root on the bad guy, but I would, I kept saying the whole time that she was like, man, this character is so smart. Like I wouldn't trust anything she's doing, John. Yeah, Don't trust her, you know?
0: You know, and if, if you go back and look at other Saw movies, there has never been another character that really successfully challenged Uh, John Kramer right like some some have survived survived the trap some like Amanda who is in this movie and I think the character and Shawnee Smith in this movie are awesome and I think this movie fills in a lot of gaps and explains the relationship between Amanda and John in a way we never really saw in the franchise prior we were sort of just told that she survived her trap and learned her lesson and bought into Kramer's mission and this I think emotionally and intellectually as far as a saw movie can right this is we're not we're still not talking about like you know and inc- you know brilliant uh, you know screenwriting and cinema but for this franchise filling in those gaps i think it makes some of the questions i had about earlier movies make more sense but like this battle between john and cecilia is fascinating and you know every saw movie has this big twist at the end yes and I don't really want to give it away, even though we're talking spoilers, other than one thing. Mm-hmm. We get to see in this movie, John Kramer in one of his own traps. We do. And that to me felt like a moment almost 20 years in the making. And sort of this like high watermark of the entire design of the series. And man, what a thrill that was.
1: Yeah, and it, it's hard to talk about it without like spoiling the end of the movie. So we'll we'll try to... I, this is one spoiler I agree with you I don't I don't want to like divulge in um but seeing John Kramer in his own trap and how that goes and how that plays out is I love the moment I love the I loved what happened in the moment I love the twist in the moment I love mm-hmm. seeing and also him in his own trap you also get to see a rare another rare angle on the humanity of the character yes like And and how he feels about the world and how he sees the world and how and the links he's he's willing to go to to do what he thinks is right, whether you think it's right or not, what he thinks is right. And he seems resolute in what he wants to do and how he wants to go about it. And there's no one and they talk about it. There's a lot of like small scenes, small, quiet scenes with Amanda, with Shawnee Smith's character, where. He talks about staying the course and about seeing things through and about being resolute and about not diverging from your path and 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 believing in what you're doing and believing in your goals and where you're going. And it it was it was such a weird moment for me because I'm like, Yes, weird serial killer John Kramer, you know, yes, you know, thank you for you know telling me to believe in myself and you know keep my goals and stay on my path. You know? Yeah.
0: (laughs) I I I I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I think you did as well. I think mm-hmm. it's if not the best, top two or three in the in the franchise. And I also sincerely hope, from the bottom of my heart, this is it.
1: I I do too. I'm I'm hoping this was a way to do a send off for Tobin Bell, and he can kind of ride off into the sunset. They don't have to do any more of these. I think that the series the series is is again budgets the budgets for these movies are pretty decent. I, and they have usually have good returns out of them. So yeah, this, I, I, this
0: movie, this movie, and and being out for like a week and a half now has already more than doubled its budget. It's going to profit. Do I think they're going to make another? Probably. Um, you know, with Spiral, which I was actually looking forward to, because Spiral felt like they were like, oh, let's actually relaunch this franchise in a way that that takes it forward. Because I feel like so many of the bad prior sequels are just over reliant on like the convoluted mythos and still holding on to the John Kramer of it all, and Spiral finally felt like they were trying something new and it was just so bad.
1: I agree. I agree. Right, like
0: that movie was was a real disappointment. So like, is there a world where they can? you know, start fresh again in the Saw world with all new characters? Maybe. I'm sure there's a screenwriter and director out there who can do it. But they tried once and it didn't work. So maybe this is the like nice bow on the franchise and they leave it here. Um, But I'm too cynical to think that's actually gonna
1: right. I mean, I am just I'm trying to find this moment where I just enjoy this moment. It's yeah. such a great film. If you're listening to this right now, you should definitely go out and go see it, even if even if that this franchise is not necessarily you feel like it's for you if you're into horror and it's not for you i again i haven't been a big fan of the series in quite a while and i felt this movie i i mean i don't think it i don't know if it breaks my like top 10 for the year but it's also i walked out saying this was time well spent and this is a fantastic movie and i want more people to see it
0: absolutely yeah absolutely so, and it it's nice to have Another really good saw movie, and if this is the note they go out on, well done.
1: Exactly. So yeah, yeah. So that kind of um that kind of wraps up our movie talk this week, and we're gonna kind of dive into our little alternate segment. We've been, as you know, we've been doing alternate segments from week to week on this show. We've done a couple of weeks of steamy, 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 steamy. But we're gonna <laughs> do something a little bit different this week, and we kind of previewed it last week. So we, did. we wanted to talk about. A drink, a drink, our cocktail of the week, our cocktail of the week, not just any cocktail, not just we don't want to talk about just something, you know, something that you could just drink and forget tomorrow. We want to talk about the things that we drink that keep us up at night that we say, man, I can't wait to have that again. And we're going to talk about one drink that we talked before we even went on air here today. Uh, We are going to talk about the Mai Tai at Strongwater Tavern.
0: Now, before we dive in, I just want to say that here at Let's Let's Lay, we advocate that you drink responsibly, make good choices, always have a designated driver, uh, make smart choices. But that being said, cocktails can be really enjoyable. And the Mai Tai at Strongwater Tavern, which is at Lowe's Sapphire Hotel, Sapphire Falls Hotel at the Universal Orlando Resort, is a fucking banger of a cocktail.
1: Banger, absolute god- banger! God damn, god I'm, I'm about to I'm about to go have one in like two hours. I am. I am so jealous.
0: If there was a way for you to like bottle it and send it with like dry ice to Brooklyn, please do. <laughs> There's like a
1: DoorDash guy that shows up at the door with like the crushed ice in it because they put cost crushed like, ice in it. It, co- oh it costs like gosh. three
0: thousand dollars to Uber Eat some uh, strong water mai tai to Brooklyn.
1: <laughs> um, I, and it's it's really interesting because like I don't know if it's like the strength of this cocktail. I'm uh, or or it's the little garnish, the little like the little garnish they put on it. Um, But it's something about it's just consistent every time. I don't know what it is about Strongwater Tavern and how they make that that Mai Tai. But it is tremendous. I don't I I mean, I don't know any other word for it, you know.
0: So it uses Hamilton Reserve rum, which is a Mm. really, really good rum to start with. Yes. Um, But I, I think this cocktail is well balanced it's really tasty um it's not one of those cocktails where you can't taste the alcohol you can definitely taste the alcohol so you know what you're getting yourself into there are other ones that are so sweet you don't realize till it's too late that you're like oh shit i had one too many this is a strong cocktail but it is so well balanced it tastes excellent and it does hit like this one or two of these and you are going to feel a buzz um it's a it's a really great cocktail if you have not had one please go try it and let us know what you think cuz this 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 might be my favorite mai tai i've ever had
1: yes i i, I think it's my favorite one uh, uh, that i've had in the area and i man whoo it's it's something that i think about all the time it's it's a no brainer the minute i sit down at strongwater tavern they ask me what i want i know what i want i want that mai tai i know exactly i know exactly what i'm getting into and it will make any night infinitely better mm-hmm. so again like swell said drink responsibly don't uh don't drink and drive you know have a designated driver but enjoy my tie at lowe's sapphire falls resort
0: i i certainly plan on enjoying one when i come down in 12 days
1: yes 12 days so not long and just to wrap this up for the day we appreciate everyone that listens um, I will say that uh, Swell and I have been discussing possibly uh, doing a live episode or something uh, a little bit more intimate uh, when when you arrive here, right?
0: Yeah, so this is episode five, and and you know normally we we try to drop our episodes on a Friday. This is going to drop on a Monday, and mm. I think that this episode is sort of going to suffice as our episode for both weeks. Yeah. So I do believe the next episode of Let's Slay is going to be one that we record uh from halloween horror nights Mm -hmm. we're gonna we're gonna bring some lavalier mics and an iphone and we're gonna interview some friends and some people directly from universal studios while halloween horror nights is going on and really try and give a taste of the event live uh from from those hallowed grounds which is going to be an experiment it's going to require a lot more editing than our our previous episodes have but I think that's going to be something really really fun to look forward to for for our listeners um and like Jay was saying like thank you so much for your support thus far um if you haven't already like whether it's Apple or Spotify or however you listen to this like write us reviews Make sure you subscribe. It all helps as we try to, you know, grow and build this podcast. We are both very committed to this. And hopefully this time next year, we'll be talking about episode 60, not like, oh, yeah, we made six of them and gave up.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So before we go, um, could you let our listening audience know where to find you on social media?
0: Uh, Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I still refuse to call it the what the The other word. Yes. Yes. (laughs) uh, At Cinemaxwell uh instagram i'm at cinemaxwell inc uh i'm on tiktok a little bit um but twitter is really my my stomping grounds where you can be super annoyed by all the garbage i have to say yeah about you where where can people find you jay
1: uh they can find me at aesthetic puppet i'm on everything i'm on the platform that i refuse to call the other thing i'm on twitter i am on uh, tiktok i'm on instagram you can find me at all those places at aesthetic puppet so yeah fancy so that has been our episode this week this is Episode five, signing off with uh, Let's Slay with Swell and Jay. I'm Jay. I'm Swell. And Let's Slay. See you next time, y'all. Bye.